0: Turn your house into a home as unique as you. With IKEA, every dollar means more quality, more sustainability, and ultimately, more inspiration. It's affordable personalization to make your home feel more you on a friendly budget. Everyone should be able to create their dream home, and it shouldn't always require a big investment or hiring a professional. IKEA is your partner for new furnishings, decor, and more. Affordable design, endless possibilities. Explore more at IKEA-USA.com.
1: Hello and welcome to another podcast from your friends at Books of the Year, because that's what we... Haven't, we weren't here for ages, and now we're back with another one very quickly, and then there's going to be another one very, very quickly. It's like we're in a hurry. Here's what we're going to do, because we haven't got any ads to read. What we want one thing and another. So um, we're going to do an ad. I hadn't told Matt this. Why don't we just do an ad for a product we like, okay? So, <laughs> so, so I'm going to mention Union Coffee because I really like Union Coffee. Now, you you can get it in supermarkets, and you can send off, they deliver. uh, And they have a really good trading uh, position, and their coffee is fantastic. So I would always recommend Union Coffee. When I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is I reach for my Union Coffee. I love this. Buy it it online or from a supermarket near you. Okay, Matt, now you get to choose any product, and then you do an ad as though they're paying for it.
2: Okay, so my brand of choice in the kitchen is yes. Joseph and Joseph. Joseph and Joseph make things like uh, knives and uh, chopping boards and lemon squeezers and garlic crushers. And seeing as I have spent the last four months doing nothing but cook, mainly banoffee pies, I only ever use Joseph and Joseph. Excellent. Well, this is a
1: whole new strand, which is <laughs> yes, doesn't make it a lot is. of commercial sense. No, really, yeah, it doesn't where make get, any sense. We just get to promote stuff <laughs> because, okay, by highlighting the fact yeah. that there's no ads. But anyway, so there you go. That's the. It's a whole new trend where we just make stuff up about yes. products that we like. So uh, if you want to get in touch, Matt, uh, you can tweet us. How do you tweet? You tweet us at uh, Books of the Year, which yes, is on the right. Twitter. And if you want to email us, it's booksoftheyear at yahoo.com. Thank you very much it indeed. Is. Stand by. Here comes another top author. Uh, here we go with another one of our top books of the year it's called finders keepers it's finders comma keepers and then it's sabine durrant hello sabine where are you
3: hello i am i'm actually lying on my bed in my bedroom in london yeah
1: what a strange thing this is we used to do all these interviews (laughs) in studios uh, and we would be matt and i would be very sitting very close to each other with you know malcolm gladwell coming in and you know shuffling (laughs) along on a polished bench now, I mean I haven't seen anybody pro- properly for months. And I know. And, and you're it's lying weird, on your it? bed.
3: Yeah, but this is where I work, so it's actually sort of really rather fitting that I should be doing this here. It's this is my um this is my office, actually. My bed surrounded by bits and pieces. A cat lying next to me. I've got some windows open onto my garden. Um so yeah, this is where I normally do my my writing. And Pathetic, Matt, where are you? It?
2: I'm I'm in my loft um and I I should warn everyone that I can hear the uh ice cream van is doing the rounds of our uh streets and so i I'm, I'm gonna say within the next 10 minutes you're gonna hear the ice cream van come outside my house oh, and nice. i'm gonna uh obviously uh instruct my son to go and get me uh, a 99 uh midway through the interview um but yes i'm looking out onto our garden and gorgeous weather and what about you, are you simon are you still in your spur room? So looking out spare room yeah looking
1: yeah? out onto a building site i haven't yes. really left here since march obviously and- it's a little bit it's a little bit warm, really. I realise that everything should be hoovered and certainly dusted a little bit more uh Uh anyway does sabine does sabine care about any of this no no no, no, i'm
3: fascinated and actually what i keep thinking is if i was to hear the same ice cream van that would be really that as a thriller writer that would be that you know two seconds after matt that would be the perfect beginning of a book and actually he's you know upstairs in my loft (laughs) 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 it's coming from inside the house it's inside it's just it's the same ice cream van it's my child who's going out to get him a 99
1: <laughs> this is this is like the beginning of an amazing story
3: anyway i'm writing it next so there we go that's <laughs> yes. my
1: next book hey look i've got a book coming out next month i'm going to change i'm already thinking i might just get onto the printers and say hold the press <laughs> i've had this idea about an ice cream <laughs> yeah i reckon i reckon that i reckon that could work so uh, sabine uh, uh actually before we go matt describe the cover of the book uh yes. and so that people could get this picture in their mind
2: Okay so we've got it's a very dark cover and what it's dominated by a well it's some plants a flowering plant and I'm not going to say what the flowering plant is because it's clearly uh, integral Ooh. to the plot um, but it's Peeping through a garden fence that's been painted a very, 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 very dark blue and then picked out in white across the centre is finders keepers and then in uh, yellow, uh, Sabine Durant uh, at the bottom and her obsession is your life at the
1: top. Okay. Okay. Well,
3: it was um, her obsession, comma, your life, but we thought there were too many commas, so it's become her obsession is interesting.
1: Your life. That's an interesting, <laughs> oh, yeah. So, take us into the world of finders' keepers, then, Sabine. And also, although Matt was being very kind of, I'm not going to tell you about the plant, I don't know how much we can say and how much we can't say. So, oh, over to you, us. first of all.
3: So, it is about um two neighbours, a woman um, who's lived in the area for a very long time. She looked after her mother in the house. She was born in the house. She's in her 50s and she's lives on her own. And it's about her relationship with her next door neighbour who is new. And um, this fence on the front is very important that it's one of those new fences that people have, which are... Um, You know, old fences were vertical and all the new fences that go up around my area, you know, very sort of slatted. Anyway, that's sort of indicative of this woman who moves in next door. She completely guts the house. She builds down. She builds up. And Verity, who's the woman who's lived there for years and years, becomes initially she's very resistant to this neighbour. And then gradually she becomes um, invadled into her life. And it begins, in fact, in the future. Well, most of the action takes place after they first met. But as the book begins, we know that the neighbour, this lovely, cosy, but well, actually not that cosy, slightly smug young mother is living with Verity. She's actually moved in with Verity because her husband has died under suspicious circumstances. And so you then go back to find out, you know, how and why he died. But And it's through the perspective of Verity, who is the um, 50-year-old next-door neighbour. Yeah,
1: She's a lexicographer. You... Yes, You're she right? is. Okay. Just explain a little bit about the lexicographer because it means that we get each chapter starting with a really a cool word and a definition. Yes. So, why did you make her a lexicographer?
3: Well, I wanted her to work at home because I wanted her to have lots of opportunities to be looking at her neighbour and you know to be in the listening out for the ice cream vans. Um, she's <laughs> also, I thought, you know, it's a kind. She's a very precise woman. She takes life very literally, and also she's. The world is, is rather frightening to her because she's lived this particular sort of, she had this particular sort of upbringing. And so words are a way of defining life, pinning things down, of making sense of her experience. Um, and so, yeah, and also it was quite a good little kind of, I don't know, little motif through the book. It's kind of quite nice to have something, isn't it, to break up the chapters and to sort of make you think, oh, what's this chapter going to be about? It's like a little signal for the reader, I think.
1: Yeah, so uh, j- just before uh, Matt said I, I want. Can you just tell us uh, about the houses, the two? I mean, you you've given us a hint yes. about Verity's house. So Elsa, so Elsa says so the Tilson family they've moved in. They're looking for a new start. This place called Trinity Fields. There's there's uh, there's Tom. I
3: think she's my Husband. Yep. Yes.
1: Uh, what well, Yeah. Uh, and then there's Melissa and there's Max and there's B. So they've all moved in. But just tell us about. Uh, the Tilson House and Verity's house as a way of kind of getting into this, and then Matt will chip in with a brilliantly constructed question. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so the Tilson House is—they're the newcomers. They—they've they've been, yeah, you know, the people who lived there before had lived there for years, and it sort of slightly smelt of fish and had children's drawings stuck to the fridge. And they came in and they completely gutted the house it's all cream and white and it's got lovely massive great stone floor in the kitchen that actually then follows out into the garden and they've got big bifold doors that open crittle doors that open out and they, everything is white and cream and sparse and minimalist and Verity's house the woman who's lived next door and who's always lived in the house next door is very different um and it's untouched And she, one of the things, it is slightly a bit of a spoiler, but it's sort of so central to the book, it's very hard to, I mean, you know, very early on that she's quite eccentric and that she has possibly an unusual attitude to things, to possessions. Um, But you gradually realise that, in fact, her house, which is falling apart and has got sort of ivy creeping through and rather tatty curtains and things laid, you know, piled up in the front garden that actually the chaos inside is sort of more than you might even imagine thinking it was a sort of eccentrics house. You know, it is, there is a lot of stuff in the house
2: so okay. i i want to talk a little bit about the tilson's because you've you've sort of hinted already well we we know from the start tom has died um and obviously you we're going to be the the, the story where we're sort of hooked on from the start is what has happened to tom because we know he's died under certain circumstances and i here's a thing i love about these the, these books is that the 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 reader is complicit sometimes and by that what what i mean is that you will have um the author will introduce um certain characters and will drop a really, really subtle hint that basically you at the reader will go, oh, I don't like him, or I don't like her, because uh, the way they're acting there is not very nice. And therefore, if they come to a grisly end, I, for one, I'm not going to be too upset. And 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 here's, so I, I love I love those first sort of subtle hints. And with Ailsa, uh, it's um, the fact that she's when we first meet her, she has uh, parked her car in a red zone, which is blocking all the traffic behind her and i'm thinking right i don't like you at all <laughs> and tom when we first meet him he's coming round to have a complaint, and it's the first thing he says is moan 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 right whatever happens to you sunshine i'm not going to be too upset <laughs> and i do hope it's nice and grisly and i i i wonder whether is so is that is that something you're thinking of when you're when you're first introducing a character that you like to think right uh, let's drop those ever so subtle hints about whether we're going to like this person or not
3: Yes, very much so. And also, what I you know, so they are they're perfectly decent people, seemingly. I mean, there's nothing you know they they have a sense of entitlement, but then so many people do have a sense of entitlement mm. and um but I really enjoy all that. I mean, I loathe them, and I loathe, and um but you know, obviously, we don't you know one doesn't want anybody to die. um but I think that is quite a fun thing and quite an enjoyable process when you're writing these psychological thrillers, which is that. You know, I'm really interested in trying to make unattractive characters sympathetic so that um, actually you are thinking, oh, actually, I might even vaguely understand where you're coming from in in this. Mm. And the opposite with the characters who are, I mean, you know, often I'm thinking about my own worst things when I'm writing the worst characters. I mean, there's this whole thing, Elsa's got this box of penguin postcards and she's incredibly... She's very cavalier about the postcards that she drops through to Verity because she has no respect, particularly for res- Verity. She's not going to be anybody who's particularly, she wants to impress. So you can tell that she's just giving her the look, you know, those boxes of Penguin postcards. There's some in there that you, you know, what's the point of sending them? They're not that interesting, whereas others are really high class ones. And I'm so yeah. aware of doing that myself. And it's a terrible trait, you know, of ones that you, I mean, probably the ones that aren't that interesting sit at the bottom of the box but anyway little bit things like that I, I sometimes look at myself and think what are the worst things I do not that I am I mean actually it's not just the parking on the red route it's the being rude to the traffic warden who Verity has known yeah. since he was a child is the thing that really turns us against Elsa you know she, she's careless of people's feelings that's the two women the two big difference between them really is that Elsa is careless of people's emotions and feelings and Verity is Oversensitive to people's emotions and feelings, and particularly her own, I suppose, but also to other people. So she's, you know, Elsa says things to her, you know, like, oh gosh, you're my wing woman, or, you know, or oh, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me, or what would we do without you? And they're, thing- they're just, you know, just brush off remarks. Elsa doesn't mean them for a moment. And yet, Verity takes them totally to heart and, you know, dwells on them and thinks on them. And, you know, Elsa says, oh, I'll see you next week, but maybe Wednesday. And Elsa's thinking, Verity's thinking, you know when it comes to Wednesday she's expecting it and when it doesn't when the meeting doesn't happen it's a sort of you know catastrophic event in her life and I suppose that's the central thing in my book really is this way in which people treat each other or these two characters treat each other and and how sort of catastrophic events can come out of this sort of misunderstandings.
1: Was she was Verity always going to be the person who narrates our tale
3: here yeah i had her voice in my head quite early on I, I mean it's funny when you're writing books isn't it you sort of sometimes you're just responding to what you've written before and i sort of wanted somebody who was slightly older um and um i wanted somebody who was an observer and who wasn't really le- leading a very active life was leaving a rather passive life and also was very. I wanted somebody who was a bit finickety and was a bit pompous about language and pedantic about language and, and things. So, yeah, she came quite easily. Once I got her, the book was, I found it, you know, some books really hard to write. It's getting the voice, I think. And... The narrative flow whereas she was a sort of yeah reasonably easy in that sense i found that I mean, she's her ghastly target. i mean
1: if you've got her voice in your head what a terrible experience that would be because <laughs> see, she's
3: there you go she's a terrible oh, she, well, of course she, of course
2: i don't she think is. she's ghastly either and she's not she really isn't she's i mean i i my sympathy i'm always in her corner i think they're all i think the Tilsons next door are awful they're the worst kind of neighbors and they're just peter and Penelope Perfect. They really <laughs> get on my nerves.
1: Whereas... Apart from that one well, has just been killed. Or just well,
2: died. yeah. As I've said already... As I've said already, I am sort of okay with that. I'm sort of okay with Tom meeting a grisly end just because he's a bit rude. In the same way that, you know, obviously, I imagine grisly deaths for people who cut in front of me in the queue. Well, actually, obviously, I wouldn't really be okay with them meeting a grisly death in real life. It's just for, you know, for those two or three seconds after they've cut in front of me at the supermarket. I'm like, right, I rather liked fantasizing about you getting cut up in a wood chipper.
3: Agatha Christie said, and it's something I often think about. She said, um, "We all have the wish to kill somebody, but not all of us have the will to kill people." And I think that's quite an Mm. interesting. I think your Simon's right that that thing you just, oh, just you know, the people that were having a party, and like a few gardens away from me on Saturday night, and they're lying in bed, just wanting, imagining, just doing something
1: terrible. Yeah, no, I've done that. Oh, I've done that so many times. (laughs) Oh yeah. So is that is that the basis of the appeal of this kind of fiction is that we even obviously in real life, you know, no, but in a book you're thinking, well, I know that someone's going to die here. I hope it's that person. Yes. And as Matt said, I hope it's Grizzly. You think where's the, where's the, where's this come from?
2: <laughs> it makes me feel very dark. But I can't. I can't be the right. I can't be the only one who thinks that. I'm sure that's pretty widespread. And Simon, obviously, you're. You know. You know. Let's all get along. Let's buy the world a coke or whatever. But I am very much in the sort of the darker end of that, and and thinking if you decide to have a have a party, your side is winning. Your side is definitely. winning.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, know, I know. I know.
2: It's all my fault. Everything that's happened is all my fault.
0: Turn your house into a home as unique as you. With IKEA, every dollar means more quality, more sustainability, and ultimately, more inspiration. It's affordable personalization to make your home feel more you on a friendly budget. Everyone should be able to create their dream home, and it shouldn't always require a big investment or hiring a professional. IKEA is your partner for new furnishings, decor, and more. Affordable design, endless possibilities. Explore more at IKEA-USA.com.
1: So, um, Sabine, tell us about the neighbour that you had at the end of your garden.
3: Well, I didn't know that it anything about her really because there was a very, very built-up ivy that went up into the tree. It was like a wall at the end of the garden. And one day, about a few years ago, my next, my other next, next neighbour's rabbit got loose in our garden and our dog chased this rabbit round and round the garden and eventually the rabbit was missing and we had children crying and I was responsible because it had been my dog. And so I took the sort of parade of small weeping children round the block, which was quite a long way round, to this house that I worked out, backed onto me but I, it was, you know, in the way the London blocks work, it wasn't particularly obvious immediately, but anyway, when we got to this house, big house um, and one of a pair but not, a pair but not attached to each other, one, one of them was a semi-detached house, one was detached but they were both incredibly um, tatty and You know, but big. Knocked on the door, and this woman came to the door who I'd never seen, who was well dressed and well spoken and polite and friendly. Um, And we explained about the rabbit, and she was really resistant to us going into the garden. And I felt sort of embarrassed, but all these children were crying, and so eventually she let us through the house. And the house was in an extraordinary state, and there were piles of there was piles of post and Amazon packages. In the hall um and also just junk mail you know the junk mail that comes through which you know maybe you get three or four pieces every other day but this was a mountain of junk mail just sort of all over the floor and then we went through the kitchen which was just awful and one of the things i really remember and in fact i put it in the book was this splatter of tomato sauce that just went from sort of one side of the kitchen to the other and the thing that, and so, you know, what really interested me was this, you know, there's another hoarder who lives a few streets away from us, a couple, and you see them around collecting things. And they're very obviously hoarders. You know, the house is very obviously hoarded, uh, the house of hoarders. Whereas the woman who backed onto me is, was not, I mean, if you saw her in the street, you'd think she was on her way to church. But the thing that really stuck with me and absolutely has sat in my head for the three years between this happening and writing the book was she... She said, oh, I'm sorry about the mess. I'm having a clear out. And it was just her sort of awareness of the state in which Mm. she was living and her, you know, and her embarrassment and her was just so poignant. And so I suppose that's really that she was the model for Verity, only in the sense of the house at that moment. But interestingly, after I wrote the book and had pretty well put it to bed, I, um, have been clearing out a family house my mother died a few years ago but my stepfather died in November when I'd really finished the book and I was responsible for clearing his house their house that they lived in together for 40 years and uh, I, what's really interesting to me about this is that their house was perfectly you know perfectly fine there were rather a lot of chairs everywhere because they played bridge and there was lots of quite a few lots of ornaments and things but otherwise it wasn't but when we when we got beneath the outside of the house, into the into the cupboards, I realised that actually, in their own way, they were sort of hoard. I mean, I mean, I think we all are in certain certain degrees. We all hoard certain things, and I was just sorting through. You know, I think every single piece of wrapping paper that had give, been given to them in any form, wrapped in any present for forty years, was in plastic bags in the loft in cupboards. Wow! Every theatre program back to the sixties. Every birthday card, every party invitation. And what's so some of that was and salt and pepper from airlines or, you know, preta manger sandwiches, a bag of little tiny salt and peppers. And part of that, I realised, was to do with, you know, the war and thrift and yeah, you know, that's the wrapping paper, isn't it? It's, it's absolutely saving, not having not being wasteful. But the other stuff was much more about. You know I suppose the letters and the invitations it's sort of about proving that you've existed in a funny way, and I found that again it's sort of so interesting how it fed back into what I'd already written, which is that our attitude to stuff is complicated, and it is about how we assess who we are and our you know the impact that we've had on the world so I there are two things really there's a the woman who lived around the corner, but there's also my own family and also then coming back I also found these boxes of things that I'd collected as a child including sort of felt tip lids I had the felt tip lids that I'd carried in my pocket in an anorak and I realized that I'd kept it because I'd have been in my anorak pocket for a few months and it became so these sort of strange talisman things and so I wonder whether it sort of came from inside as much as anything there you go was that a longer answer than you wanted no
2: that, no, no that was a great answer <laughs> I, and, I and oddly I, I can absolutely um sympathize with that because I know that I you know when you're talking about theater programs and and things like that I certainly keep those kind of things and even I you know I've kept tickets to uh gigs tickets to uh, even tickets to uh, f- football matches and you know other sporting events events that I've been to I've definitely kept them and I yes it it feels as you say it's it's like uh it's that mark it's that sort of I was here I you know I I I attended these things or I I was involved in those things and 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 this is the you know this is the mark I made was just by attending them but um I I yes it, it doesn't seem strange at all now the, going back to your book, where there, there is a character who, who is a hoarder, it felt like—I mean, I didn't know this backstory that you've just um, that you've just told us now, but uh it felt like you had done quite a lot of research into this other it didn't feel like it was just something that had happened to one of your neighbors it felt like it was something that you'd you'd sort of delve into and 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 really you know read some some sort of medical um psychology uh, um works on it i mean is no, that I the did. case or, or was, no, oh, yeah. i did
3: yes yeah i read some psych, you know some proper books about it also i watched quite a few of those programs you know called Hoarders, you know. The, oh yeah, um, yeah, which yeah. are sort of uh, they're all sort of the same. But and I read this the book that actually I found most useful was a book by Susanna Walker called The Life of Stuff. And again, it was about going to her mother's house after her mother had died and not really realizing what a state her mother had left the house in because for the last year she'd been kind of putting Susanna off visiting the house. And but again, it was a and it's really about. You know what what our stuff means and why we collect and and why other people find it sort of repellent i suppose in a way <laughs> well i suppose it comes from you know insecurity doesn't it that's the i mean the, the, i think one of the theories is that people who've had trauma in their past um people who've s- survived concentration camps i think there was a sort of link between that kind of deprivation and hoarding um So I think, yeah, so Verity has had a fairly, you know, a difficult childhood and a difficult upbringing. And um, so I tried not to make it just, you know, sensationalist.
1: When you're telling a story which is, broadly speaking, a psychological thriller, do you sit and plot uh, very closely, Sabine? Do you do chapter by chapter, you know, so by chapter six, we've just, we're suspecting that. By chapter eight, we're doubting that, and we're thinking, no, maybe it's the dog, uh, and so on. Do you um, do you sit down and plan relentlessly? Yes.
3: So it varies. So, and it's much easier to write a book. I don't think it necessarily makes a difference in the long run. But if you're the more you plot, the more the easier it is, I think, to stick to something. And I mean, I've just started now, and I was sort of impatient to get going because I felt I'd sort of wasted a few months, and I needed to start writing. And so I've started writing, and the first two thousand words I'm really pleased with, and then next thousand I'm thinking, oh, it's gone wrong already, and that's because I wasn't really sure whether they were going to do this or that, and I was trying out one, and then I'm going to try out the other, like. Know, rewinding on a film. Um, and, uh, yeah, the best books, the books I've actually written, chapter one, this is going to happen, chapter two, this is going to happen, chapter three. And I think more about plot rather than about what the um, reader is going to be thinking. And that I do, in the second edit, go back and think, oh, I need to, you know, like a magician, sort of divert attention at this point. Um, but I tend not to do that mm. in the planning, just the plot.
1: So I just want to ask a question about the ending okay oh very very you know I, I will hedge around because is it true that your editor originally said Sabine this is too dark you can't do this and you had to change it
3: I don't think she thought it was dark enough
1: okay so okay well that's um, the, that's the so yeah definitely the, edi- completely I definitely the wrong edi- way around but it yeah was, I definitely so- had a
3: different ed- ending And and maybe you're trying to think. No, I don't think she thought it was too dark. I think she is, you know, editors of psychological thrillers, they really want darkness. Um, I think, yes, I had a different ending and um, it didn't quite, in fact, not dark. It was too... I can't it's so hard to say. You can't talk about endings without giving them I know. away. I haven't
1: given <laughs> it's anything <impossible>. away.
0: <laughs> I know, but
3: okay, I can't say fine. anything. Well, well, no, I'm the one of who's it. struggling. Story of, basically I did have a different ending. And in fact I had three endings and I had two endings in my head. But actually funny enough, we just asked about planning and I do find endings because when I often when you're plotting, I mean you two will know this too. You have this ending and it seems... But sometimes it, when you get there, it seems a bit too neat after the sort of... Once you've actually got to know the characters, your ending might seem so nice and clever at the beginning but might not quite seem right at the end. And that often happens to me. The ending where I went catastrophically wrong was my second thriller, which is called Remember Me This Way. And it's about a woman whose husband has died in a car accident and she is convinced he's still alive and... um I wrote the entire book thinking that it was fine for the reader not to know at the end whether he was still alive or not, That it was perfectly okay to keep it open. And my, the very first read through my editor said, you've got to decide. But at that point, I had an American editor and a British editor, and they both said, you've got to decide. And one of them said, he's got to be dead. And the other one says, he's got to be alive. So I think I did slightly different endings for the American version and... The British version. Not that it really mattered, because no one bought it at all in America, whatsoever. So, um.
2: just—I mean, just for the record here, Sabine, I think it's a great ending, and I, oh, um, you. you know, uh, I, I think it absolutely works. And I'm not giving anything away. When oh there's the ice cream van there it is as promised absolutely oh, nice nine, please <laughs> yes absolutely That's a um, <laughs> a Mivy, get you um, so yeah so no th- th- there's like there's a one there's one four word phrase and this is not a spoiler it's not going to give anything away but when I saw the one phrase people trip so easily I thought oh that is good <laughs> that is very very strong and 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 here's right so. we're not going to obviously talk about the ending to your book here because it would would be impossible to talk about it without massive spoilers. But I do want to... You've sort of touched a little bit on endings in general. And uh, sort of me and Simon have a bit of a sort of difference of opinion on this. I, I think your ending in this book is great, but I think people stress too much about the endings to books. I don't think they matter as much as people uh, as, as much as people really stress ludicrous about ludicrous idea. And, and, and Simon disagrees, <laughs> as, as you've just heard. What is your feeling? Do do endings really really matter, or are they? Is it you know? Obviously, it's nice to have a good ending. No one wants to have a bad ending, but a bad ending doesn't mean that the the, the book is awful.
3: No, I think I sort of agree. I mean, I think it's very hard to generalize. Um, I like quite open endings. So usually I leave mine quite open, Um, not maybe quite as open as with that second book. I mean, you know, I've read a really, really good thriller recently. I think it's totally brilliant. and It's been in the bestseller list. And it's got such a fantastic, such fantastic characters and such fantastic kind of arc. And the very bit at the end, I found disappointing. And I felt it wasn't true to the character. It didn't ruin the book for me. I think there was a stage when everybody was trying to, particularly this type of book, trying to do you know, clever little twists right at the end. Mm. And I sometimes think twists are better when they come halfway through. I mean, like Gone Girl, that was such a fantastic twist, just a little bit, in, you know, a third into the book. Um, so do I think they really matter? It is funny that, isn't it? Because actually I noticed on, you know, Amazon reviews, the ending is what people talk about a lot, good ending, bad ending. People like a happy ending. Um
1: I, th- I mean I think I think they really do, but I, maybe it depends what kind of book you're you're writing to because if you put down the book at the end and you be you, that ultimate oh really that sense yeah. of disappointment is is what stays with you even if the rest of it was great
3: well maybe um, maybe
1: I think just Matt is clearly wrong
3: <laughs> yeah well, well
1: I disagree yeah
3: <laughs> I was just going to ask Matt if he has an ending for his book yet.
2: Well, I do. And I've, it's, I, so I've written it. Um, but I'm still, I'm still unsure about everything. I think um, my beginning is the one is the bit that I stress the most about. But the the ending, I'm, I'm sort of happy at the moment with but you know, I only finished doing the ending about two weeks ago. So, uh, so, you know, it's sort of one of those things that it'll percolate and then suddenly I'll realise in a month time, oh, no, that's the worst possible ending. I must come <laughs> up with another.
1: Yeah. Did you struggle with the idea of UFOs landing at the end of your story? Or was it a- <laughs> the T-Rex suddenly coming yeah. out, having not figured in the story before. Yeah, uh, you know, just a, th- just a thought. Hey, Sabine, it sounds as though you're already sort of well into your next book. What do we get from you next?
3: Oh God, I'm not well in. I'm only three thousand words in. I was four thousand, and I've cut a thousand this morning, so I'm feeling really low on it. Um, but I've, it's very different. It's set so far in the south of France, and it's about a drift, a grifter who's a con, a con artist. Sounds rather old fashioned, doesn't it? a Con artist. Um, but it's a woman who is in a sort of the two of them together. She's a, she's got a partner and. Um, something goes wrong and she ends up pretending to be somebody else but I haven't I haven't really got that far even to you do know. love but a good anyway, con
2: artist story I, I love, love a con hard.
3: artist yeah, I know yeah, they're yeah. good aren't they and I like those books where someone's pretending to be somebody else and, and that's I, th- I think what's good about you know I just reading Daphne du Maurier's The Scapegoat um that you, you're sort of on tenterhooks. you're with the you know the narrator and you are sort of slightly more in it together about oh, are you going to get is she going to get caught out I quite fancy doing that I mean I think you think when you're writing novels you somehow sometimes you're reacting against what you've written before as much as something else and this book obviously was quite static and <laughs> certainly yeah. after the last four months I'm quite keen if I'm not going to be going to South France myself that I might be writing about it at least
1: Okay well we'll look forward to that Sabine Durant's book is Finders Keepers uh, elsewhere in this po- podcast stream you will hear uh, sabine tackle our uh, q and a so if you want more from sabine durrant then you just have to uh, hang around or if you're catching up with this like next year then it'll already be there and in which case sabine's next book might already be out and you'll have already read about the grifter drifter and you've worked out precisely all the truth about the con artist anyway and you will also know uh,
2: where we stand as far as the pandemic's concerned so please let everything be okay
1: and please do let us know
2: <laughs> if everything is okay if you're as, listening as, from as the we future. talk to you from the past Yes. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I've got Sabine, a headline
3: title now. Grifter Drifter. There you go. Finders keepers.
1: Yeah. Grifter
3: Drifter. I'm done. Boom.
1: Very good. <laughs> Can I write a quote for the cover? Yes, please. Sabine, thanks
0: very much.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Turn your house into a home as unique as you. With IKEA, every dollar means more quality, more sustainability, and ultimately, more inspiration. It's affordable personalization to make your home feel more you on a friendly budget. Everyone should be able to create their dream home, and it shouldn't always require a big investment or hiring a professional. IKEA is your partner for new furnishings, decor, and more. Affordable design, endless possibilities. Explore more at IKEA-USA.com.